and welcome to another episode of What Is My Podcast About? A podcast where we get together on a basis of once every two weeks to sit down and try to figure out what we want to talk about for a podcast. I'm leading this week's podcast, me, myself, Matthew, and as always, I am joined by Peter. Hello. And Keith. Hey. So, how are you guys doing? How have you been? Uh, I have been well. I am doing well. That is nice. Beep boop. Man, fucking, why is it always at the start of these podcasts we have, uh, or at the very least, I don't know about you guys, but I have such a hard time sounding like a fucking human being whenever these podcasts starts. Well, it's because it's transitioned from scripted entry to all of a sudden we're just talking naturally now. It's like, yeah. uh, how do we transition? What are you talking about? This entire podcast is scripted. It's just every word we say is written down before we even start the podcast. Uh, even that for that some page. reason. And this, describing it. And this, describing yeah. that. For some reason, we wrote into the script that we would describe the script, including this part where it says Peter describes the script by talking about the script, and I'm going to stop talking right now. So how are you, Keith? <laughs> I've had an emotional week. I'll put it at that. Uh, is this anything related to the series you've been trying to get me and Matt to participate in more aggressively? Pretty much. That was a weird way of phrasing that. Okay, yeah. so Evangelion gets emotional towards the end. Yeah, Evangelion uh, 3.0 plus 1.0, thrice upon a time. I know, weird name, but it makes sense if you watch it. Uh, but this I'm... was uh, the movie that finally ended the Evangelion series. So it's like, you know, definitively so the... the end of the story of Shinji Ikari. So the waifu wars are over. Yeah, the original waifu wars are over. There is a winner. It's uh, quite interesting. A lot of people upset <laughs> online because this is considered the OG waifu war. <laughs> Uh, but I started watching uh, Neon Genesis in 2001, so uh, effectively I've been following the series for the last 20 years, and Jeez. you know th that's a lot of like stuff just coming to an abrupt end. So yeah, of course it gets a little emotional. Yeah, understandable. Now that it's actually over, over, I can start watching it. <laughs> I can respect that. But yeah, great movie. Uh, I do recommend watching it, uh, though. Uh, there's a lot of payoff you don't understand unless you go through the series so i would recommend just that in general but before you watch it good to know i wasn't planning on watching it until i watched the rest of the anime anyway fair another uh not as emotional but still quite a what uh situation was uh we had a new casting released for uh the sonic hedgehog movie the new the second one and uh, yeah this <laughs> casting sounds like, we've discussed it a little bit, and it sounds weird, but I'm looking forward to it, because this actor can do no wrong in my mind. Yeah, so Idris Elba is going to be playing Knuckles the Echidna. It's still, like, when you say it out loud, even though I've already come to terms with it, it still sounds like a, a fucking Onion article. It doesn't sound like real information. Well, if I remember correctly, like, the rumor for the longest time was it's going to be Jason Momoa playing Knuckles, and how it went from that to Idris Elba being the actual casting, I'm quite curious to see, but... I don't know if this means that... Because Idris Elba is just great in everything, right? He's never kind of yeah. been in a bad movie that I can recall. Yeah. Mm. So. The one thing is... he. So, one of the things I was kind of discussing about this was I was expecting a lesser-known actor. Like, I wasn't... I was expecting this to be someone's breakout role and not an actor who's pretty worldwide famous at this point. Um... 
I still think he's going to do a fantastic job. It's just one of those things where, like, I'm probably going to just be hearing Idris Elba and not Knuckles, but you never know. <laughs> uh, and other interesting news. Uh, this more pertains to the our ongoing Wimpy Bite series, but we finally got the trailer for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean. Ooh. So that trailer's Ooh. now up, and apparently it's going to be a Netflix, a Netflix release, and it's going to be the full series. So it's not a week by week. It's, they're doing a full drop oh. of Stone Ocean. That's why it's been such a long time between uh, Golden Wind and this one coming up, because they've apparently just been working on doing a full release. Oh, geez, that's, that's... interesting. Oh, I'm already exhausted about the fact that I'm going to have to force myself to watch the entire season in one sitting. (laughs) That looks good. We got the characters, who's playing them, uh, some of the music. So we kind of think we got the idea of what the the theme song for this character is going to be. But I can't go into too many details because we're not there yet in our current uh, series. Nope. Still have a bit of catching up to do. Actually, we only have one uh, arc between us and this one because uh, we're on Golden Wind now in that series yes. that we're doing. So Golden Wind and then Stone Ocean. Golden Wind, the one arc that I've been looking forward to the least because the characters look just so weird. Uh, Matt, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know right now, it does not go in reverse from what you're seeing. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> Matt, the characters have gotten weirder as the series progresses. This was inevitable. Do you remember the hair of uh, Kujo from the the Jojo from the most recent series? I think you mean Josuke. Yeah. Or do you mean that, the hair hat? Oh, I'm, no, I'm I mean also... Josuke. I mean Josuke. <laughs> also the hair hat. Yep. All of the characters just progressively look weirder than their previous iterations. But uh, from uh, Phantom Man, Blood to Battle Tendencies, from Phantom Blood to Battle Tendencies, though, I can argue that they got a little bit better. Well, it was simplistic. I mean, I can't wait till you guys see Weather Report. Mm. To be fair, I haven't been saying they've been getting worse. I'm just mean they're getting weirder, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it is going to progress and get weirder and weirder as time goes on. Oh yeah, it's its own style, but it's pretty good. In other news. We got a little bit more information regarding the upcoming Pokemon game, Legends Arceus. Oh? What have we heard about it? I oh, haven't got... been keeping up to date on this game at all. We I got do. we got a little bit more... We got a more fleshed-out trailer, and it certainly looks like they've fixed the frame rate issues from the first trailer that we got. Running a lot smoother now. But that, that doesn't also... mean anything for when it's actually running on the Switch in your hand. Fair enough. But also... It was not a great sign that it couldn't run smoothly in a fucking demo of... Or not a demo of fucking... A trailer. That's the word I'm looking for. Trailer of the game and it wasn't running smoothly. That was not a great sign. Not as good as the... What was it? Deadly Premonition 2 trailer where it said real gameplay and it was fucking stuttering in the trailer. I love that. Yes. (laughs) That's that's Deadly Premonition at this point, though. They're going to be straight up about the weird shit you're getting. Oh, yeah. But, uh... One of the th- more exciting aspects of this trailer was the fact that uh, wild Pokemon will actually attack you, the person in the game, and knock you out if you're not careful. You actually have to dodge their attacks when they come at you and throw your Pokemon out to intercept them. You mean you don't white out anymore? So, wait, what well, happens if you get knocked out? 
what happens if you get knocked unconscious by Pokemon? Because like the logic always was, if your Pokemon get knocked out, you run back to the Pokemon Center and heal your Pokemon up there. Yeah. If you get knocked unconscious, do you just wake up hours later in the middle of the wild? No, because the Pokemon eat you. Oh, the Ooh. game just ends. You get knocked An unconscious and it's just black screen. Your fucking cartridge is erased. You can't even reload a previous save. Every game plays the Nuzlocke run. Oh, that's... But, like, only from the point of view of you getting knocked out. If your Pokemon get knocked out, that's fine. You still go back to a Pokemon Center. But if you get knocked over, oh, game's over. But that also makes me a little curious. Like, will we have a health bar in that game? Because it's open world. There's cliffs you can obviously jump and fall off of. Because we see the character jump off a cliff and uh, hang glide away on a Pokemon. So uh, what no. if you just don't call it your Pokemon? Do you just fall and kill yourself? Knowing how the Pokemon games go, it's probably going to be a stamina bar. And it's like, you run out of energy. You're tired now. And then oh, you just sit there for 30 seconds while blinking across your screen. It just says, go outside. Go outside. <laughs> I fell go off outside. <laughs> I fell off the tallest mountain in the game. Man, I'm sleepy. Yep. But it certainly looks like they're taking the game in a much more interesting direction. And I'm all for what I'm seeing so far. Honest, I liked where Pokemon was and... Some of the changes they're making to Pokemon are perfectly fine. They're neat additions, but some of the changes just feel like they're trying to turn Pokemon into fucking Breath of the Wild or something. And Breath of the Wild was a great game, but I don't want a Pokemon game where I sprint for 30 seconds and then stop to catch my breath. Yeah, I I do doubt that they'll have a stamina system in that because you can ride Pokemon for transport and you've never had a stamina gauge in the other games where you could just run. Yeah, I would assume, like I said earlier, if there's a stamina gauge in any sense, it's probably to indicate how much damage you can take. Yeah. I know, I'm just... I'm worried that this game is trying to become something that Pokemon isn't, and... Like, I don't want them to make a Pokemon game that feels like it's not a Pokemon game, it feels like it's some other game. When I play Pokemon, I want to play Pokemon to play Pokemon, not to play a world exploration where I'm trying to collect all the golden gems so that I can upgrade my Pokemon or something like that. Pokemon crafting system. Pokemon cooking system. Oh, wait, they already have that. Yep. Uh, Pokemon touching system. Damn it. <laughs> Leave my Pokemon on the island with bean system. Done. That's, that was definitely the weirdest one. Yeah. Uh, in other Hello? game news, uh, we have uh, a new trailer for Bomb Rush Cyberpunk. Have you guys heard anything about this? I don't think so. Uh, so I heard something about it, but I don't... Oh, is this the one that's the new Jet Set Radio? Yeah, so the original oh. game director of Jet Set Radio and the guy who did the soundtrack are both working on this game. Uh, so it's coming out on the Switch and a few other systems, Steam, like everything essentially. And the funny thing about this one is everyone's like, oh, finally, so Sega's not doing anything with the IP, so they're just like, fine, we'll just make our own Jet Set Radio. I respect that. Good. We've needed a new Jet Set Radio for a long time, so yes. if or they're going to make a new Jet Set and call it something else, that's fine by me. I mean, from the trailer, it looks like, because like, again, the graphics are the exact same. The music sounds like something you'd expect from it. Uh, 
some of the differences is not all the rollerblades anymore. There's a person who's running around with soap shoes. There's a guy with a skateboard. So you're getting a bit of variety, but it's still like the kind of the music escaping the insane police department that wants to stop you from traveling faster, I guess, and uh, graffiti and all that. And on top of that, some of the map actually looks like things you've seen in Jet Set video. Like some of the maps actually look almost mm. shot for shot the same map. Yeah, some of the stuff I saw from the trailer uh, made me feel very nostalgic for uh, Jet Set. Not just in terms of art style, but in terms of the world itself made me feel really nostalgic. I'm just looking forward to soap shoeing it. Like, sure, yeah, rollerblades are cool and all that, but what Jet Set really needed all along was soap shoes. And speaking of soap shoes, uh, Monkey Ball is getting fucking out of hand. Monkey Ball is getting everything from what I understand. Like, literally... Who who now? it's the new fucking Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Every character who exists in an IP is going to end up in fucking Monkey Ball. Yeah, since our last one, uh, they added Sonic and Tails, and they added Kiryu from uh, the Yakuza series. I think we're like three or four trailers away from like Waluigi being a meme entry. Oh my god. And Sephiroth will arrive. And there'll be a cutscene introducing Sephiroth where he stabs one of the monkeys through the heart. And it turns out it's just between their armpits. I can't wait till they reveal Shenmue forklift. From the silence, I assume neither of you played Shenmue. Nope. No, I played Shenmue. I'm just Googling Super Monkey Ball to see if anything's been confirmed. Anything else has been confirmed while we're having this conversation. (laughs) I'm going to confirm what the forklift is in. Yeah. Uh, So they did do a Sonic All-Stars racing game where you played Shenmue Man and he drove the forklift. Of course they did. Oh. No, I'm I'm okay with it. Uh, I've come to terms with it. I'm okay with it. <laughs> uh, and another thing that's actually started up uh, since our last episode, too, uh, the What If series has uh, released, at this point, two episodes. Yeah, I've only had the time to see the first one. I haven't seen the new What If uh, Black Panther was actually a Star-Lord. But the first one, the what if Peggy Carter was the or was the first superhero? Was the first Avenger. First Avenger. Um, that one I found fantastic. This was another one of those series that, once again, I was a little bit, not nervous, but I didn't expect great things from it, just because it's just going to be a TV series about hypothetical situations that may or may not ever actually happen or have any impact on the MCU as a whole. But at the very least, with the what if Peggy Carter was the first Avenger, was impactful enough and like hit all the beats of the movie where I was remembering watching uh, Captain America the first time and like all of those beats from the other perspective. And it it plucked my heartstrings a little bit, I'll be honest. And I had a really good time watching that episode. Yeah, there is, like the formatting and the art are just great for how they're doing it. I'm very much looking forward to the rest, more so than I was going into it initially. But again, I don't want to go into it in too much detail because it's still coming out. Yeah, it is definitely one of those series where one of the things I believe we hypothesized before the uh, episode started releasing uh, was that this was maybe going to be something where they introduce plot lines before they're introduced through the multiverse. So that now if we ever do have Captain Carter, this is why she or this is her backstory explained. Um and it, you kind of get that vibe from watching the series as it does a lot of the heavy lifting of getting characters through different situations to where they would be at the time the MCU is now. So you can understand if they bring through a different version of a character 
into the modern MCU. Yeah. More characters for the multiversal war. More characters for the next Avengers, which has even more characters and less screen time per character than the fucking Endgame. More money. Woo! Money! And the opposite of that is less money, which uh, some breaking news for you guys that I just saw on my news feed. Uh, <laughs> not really the normal thing we talk about, but I think it's interesting to bring up. But uh, apparently, are you guys familiar with OnlyFans? Yep. Yes. Uh, well, apparently, uh, this news just came out. And as of October, the site is banning porn. So uh, <laughs> OnlyFans That's is losing just... the porn. Oh, this reminds me of, oh, it was like almost half a decade ago when fucking Tumblr banned porn. And no, the no, they internet... didn't ban porn. They banned female presenting nipple. Sure. They came as close to banning porn as they were going to. And the internet lost its fucking mind because Tumblr's all about free expression of our beliefs and interests. And how dare you censor us for being into something. Um, and I just like that OnlyFans, which as far as I understand... Serves no purpose other than porn, and now yeah. they're banning it. <laughs> that was, as far as I knew, the only thing on OnlyFans. Yeah, what else do they have? Uh, is it? Are they trying to become a new Patreon by banning porn? Is that what's happening? Maybe. Probably. But yeah, uh, I just saw that, and I thought it was worth mentioning, because as of October, the porn's gone. So, uh, those of you listening who use OnlyFans, uh, I mean, get your fill, I guess. Okay, uh, so reading a little bit further, because this is something I had to Google immediately. Uh, it's only actually banning, from what I can tell, hardcore pornography. It's still going to be just filled to the brim with softcore. Oh, okay. Uh, it's just, they can't have uh, hardcore explicit content on their uh, service based on the way their financials work. Because the banking partners they have refuse to continue supporting them. That was a weird sentence to read. Well, I guess OnlyFans isn't dead. It's just dying. <laughs> it has slightly less money now. That it does. So, is there anything else in the world we need to discuss before we get into this very serious topic? No, that was kind of my last thing. Fair. Yeah, I've got nothing else. Can't really follow cool. that one up. Nope. Uh, this entire episode's going to be a letdown after that. <laughs> Well, look at the topic we're talking about. You're right. It's going to be great. No, a letdown as in terrible topic to begin with, because the topic of our conversation is terrible. Can we stop pussyfooting around and just say the name of the thing we're yes. talking about, Matt? It is M. Night Shyamalan's live action The Last Airbender movie. What a good we, we've, we've talked about Avatar The Last Airbender cartoon before, and while that is an amazing cartoon, an amazing show, this, however, uh, is not. I mean, I enjoy that you're taking such a hard stance on this, Matt, because honestly, this was the first time I watched it, and I didn't think it was that bad. It wasn't, like, amazing by any stance of it, but I didn't hate it. Yeah, I'm so, also firmly in the camp of... The internet in general's response of this is the worst movie adaptation of all time is very overreaching. Like, I don't think it's a fantastic movie, 
but I think it's a perfectly adequate movie. There, there was definitely spots that felt odd about it. I'll, I'll give it that. One of the ones that are uh, like clearly just off-putting is there is two characters that dis- like are very distinctly pronouncing names wrong, <laughs> which is Ong yep. and Iro. Yeah. yeah. So they call the Avatar the Avatar. They call Ang Ong. They call Sokka Soka, and they call Iro Iro. Uh, honestly, so... I, I, di- I didn't even notice the Soka one. I I didn't... Because well, they, they barely even mentioned the characters' names. And, well, I, mean, I wasn't paying attention to Soka, Sokka, bullshit, whatever. I absolutely did not notice them pronouncing Avatar, uh, <laughs> which I feel like I would have because I know the correct pronunciation of the word. Uh, but yes, I did notice Ong and Iro. Yeah. Are you the Avatar? I'm like... What movie did I wa- am I watching? I thought I signed up to watch Avatar. What, hell, what the hell's an Avatar? Well, that's your first mistake. You weren't watching Avatar. You were watching The Last Airbender. Avatar is nowhere in its title. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, also, I think the reason I probably didn't notice the Soka thing, and this is one of my big problems in it, is the character was just not that interesting. Yeah. As, uh, this movie is one of the key examples of uh, why you need to be very, very careful when getting child actors. Well, I wouldn't because... say it was even that. I would say, like, the character of Sokka, I feel like, is really hard to translate directly. And it felt like this movie couldn't make up its mind if it was a direct translation or an adaption. So I think oh. just when they're, for that character, they tried to play him exactly like they did in the show. It just doesn't translate well to a live-action setup, specifically. Yeah, they made adjustments to some of the other characters. Uh, yeah, they, they, they tried to uh, just do kind at- of a... Yeah, they made an attempt to make Sokka like the kind of witty person he is in the cartoon. But just the fact that the delivery of all of the characters was just so dry and from the script. Well, he, and they had, they had next to no acting ability. I mean, he wasn't even the driest character though. Like he had moments like the driest character. All this was the person playing Katara. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Katara and well, even Ong. He was he was way more emotive than she was. Emotive, but uh, Ang is supposed to be very childish and lively. That was not the case at all in this movie. Well, I think the key reason there is they clearly made adjustments. Like this wasn't supposed to be a direct one to one translation from the animated uh, series. Oh yeah, no. They made some adjustments. They made some changes in the characters, like. Ong uh, was supposed to be a bit more grounded, I feel like, for this movie, where, like, they tried to make him have emotions and, like, have him constantly trying to cope with the fact that everyone he ever know and know, knew and loved is now dead and the kind of emotional toll that would take on a person. So it would have kind of felt a little bit out of place if he was constantly goofing off and making jokes. Yeah, that's Especially where of- they had... Rather than an entire season to go over it, they had the one movie to cover that kind of emotional growth. Exactly. Kind of have to cut some things to make a logical gap fit for such a short form. I do think... uh, So I do kind of recognize a lot of people's complaints with this movie. One thing I would say is if they actually got got to make the three movies like they were clearly planning when they wrote this first one, I do think it would have come together man my mouth is just full of marbles right now come together a lot better than just the individual movie on its own because i think we would have had 
more arcs to these characters who feel a little bit one dimensional in the individual movie. Yeah, but potentially. And like if they did continue with the planned three movies that they had originally before the first movie completely flopped, then uh, if they continued with how they were depicting all the characters and the story in this first movie, then I can see that how it would have branched quite extensively from how the actual TV show turned out. Yeah, it would have to. Uh, although I will say uh, there is definitely a common line between uh, both of these, and that's that Zuko was the best part of both. I enjoyed the line from the end of this movie where Ang Ong, sorry, I'll pronounce it. <laughs> How <right>. dare you? <laughs> uh, where Ong frees Zuko's head so he can breathe, and he's like, "No waterbenders will kill you if you stay here." Also, by the way, we could have been friends if you were nicer to me. Like it was one of those things where, like, you could kind of see that they were trying to establish the growth that Zuko was going to have over the next couple movies, and then it flopped so aggressively but also uh, i found that that whole point of ong saying we could have been friends just kind of leans heavily on the fact that the viewers may have watched the show already and know that they had some interactions together and had some similarities yeah and that's kind of my problem with like what i was having a problem with is that the series or the movie itself it seems like they were not quite doubling down on is it an adaption or uh you know a, a faithful translation and because of that it kind of came off like this movie was only for people who liked avatar but if you were in this only because you like avatar why aren't you watching regular avatar and if you're watching this because you don't know what avatar is you're just gonna end up like well this is stupid yeah yeah i personally i think the best thing they could have done is there were the best thing they could have done limitedly, like obviously the best thing they could have done was to make it longer and to do a much more faithful translation. But I think in the context of it being an individual movie, I think if they had have leaned more into the adaptation versus translation and had more changes that made it fit with the style that they were going for, I think it would have come across a lot better. Oh, I fully agree. Yeah. And well, even more so if they put more effort into the actual bending aspect because the elemental bending is a huge part of the avatar series oh yeah in bending, case. bending in this was just stupid because uh, yeah there's, there's a big flaw and i don't believe that the fire nation in this series could have done anything that they've done yeah no because yeah. uh well first and foremost the primary factor to think about is the different bending styles are based on different martial arts, their movements are strictly based from their founding martial art. Whereas in this, they were just doing whatever kicks and waves and things that they could think of at the time. The only thing that seemed to have any semblance of continuity was the water bending and their more Tai Chi moving. But even at the end when Ong summoned the, whole, the huge tidal wave to drive back the Fire Nation Navy, he was doing kicks and stuff. He was like just jumping kicks and twists and nothing waterbendery. Now, uh, this might be me forgetting, but in the series, like the actual animated series, he freezes all those ships, right? 
Doesn't uh, he go no. giant blue salamander water thing Z- monster? Yeah, after the uh, after Admiral Zhao kills the water spirit, Av- or Ang goes into the Avatar state and flushes all the Fire Nation soldiers back out to sea and pushes all of the Fire Nation Navy out of the bay with a huge wave. Oh, okay. But I'm wrong. There, He absolutely goes giant blue water salamander, oh, right? Yeah. Giant okay, blue right. water salamander all the way. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah, that for was financial one of those reasons, where... I can understand why they didn't do that in the movie. It was one of those things where before watching this movie, because I had watched the movie before and I watched the Avatar series, I had the two memories in my head of giant blue water salamander monster and giant water manipulation tidal wave to push everyone away. And I couldn't remember which was which. And so I was going (laughs) into this. I was like, you know which one of those sounds a lot dumber? Giant blue water salamander thingy. That's probably from this live action movie. And so I was just going into it fully expecting that. And then it didn't happen. And I got the tidal wave and I was like, oh, so that was from the actual animated series okay it sounds dumber but when actually animated well pays off nicely to be fair and matt might get upset about this i kind of like the vibe from the end of the live action more than the end of this fight uh from the uh animated one because i feel like this one does a much better job of cementing ong as being a peaceful person who doesn't want to kill people uh, yeah because yeah, giant- i did i did like that because uh well, kind of on the other hand, the, the animated version where Aang went into the Avatar state, it was more his emotions were getting the better of him and the Avatar state kind of took over where it wasn't actually him in charge completely. Yeah. But yeah, the movie here definitely did a better job for that final confrontation showing that Aang is more of a pacifist. Yeah, that, I felt like that was set up better, but... I feel like overall, this was a much more poor fight compared to the animated series. Uh, the yeah. thing that upset me the most, because again, remember, this is my first time watching this movie. The fact that Zuko did not fight Zhao at the end was very upsetting. I know. Yeah, he and... gets ready to fight Zhao. And then... And... Iro? Iro yeah, Iro yeah, steps up and he's like, no, no, no. We don't have time for this. Let's walk away. Like... I assume he mostly just meant we don't have time for the CGI people to actually make another firefight, so we're just going to walk away. Yeah. Um, and then a bunch of Water Tribe people came up and drowned him to death, and they actually said that Iro or that uh, Zhao died. I was like, okay. They actually said he died as opposed to everyone just assuming he died. I mean, he was dead. Oh, yeah. They just never said it. But also, uh, nothing against the actor, but just, Zhao just wasn't as menacing as he was from no. the animated series. Well, so, I could be mistaken, but I believe the actor who played Zhao is mostly a comedian actor, which is probably why he didn't come off as intimidating. Yeah, uh, also uh, the Fire Lord also didn't seem that intimidating. Yeah, Ozai was not intimidating in the slightest. Also, I had a bit and... of a problem with the plot change of apparently Zhao was like just telling fucking everybody that he went to the library. Yeah, yeah, that library nobody believes in. I was there, of course. It's like, why are you fucking telling everybody? It's like, oh yeah, I know that place. I've never seen it, but I know that place. This is sure you do, I guess. Apparently, it's common knowledge in this world. But uh, no, one of the things I found most annoying about the Fire Lord is the fact that uh, 
He actually cared about Zuko in this one. How is my son doing? All throughout the movie. Yeah, like, going out of his way when fucking Jab was talking about wanting to kill Zuko, and he was like, let's just leave him be. Let's. I, he has his task, we'll see if he can accomplish it. And it's like, you, no, you that's not, not how I was It's like, you are to not harm him ever. He's like, okay, I'll just stage an accident, I guess. I kind of feel like they like, and this is my just like theory crafting. If the series went forward, they might have been setting up that Ozai actually wasn't the villain at the end, and they might have tried to pay it off with Azula. It definitely, especially with like the not quite post credit scene you get of Ozai handing off the task of killing Avatar to Azula, that they were definitely trying to set up Azula as more of a final enemy than Ozai. Yeah, I think she yeah. would have been the villain of the second movie, and then I feel like they would have had that scene where Zuko confronts him. And then Azula maybe, like, kills him from behind. It's like, huh, now I'm the Flame Emperor, blah, blah, blah. And then they have one of his team up to beat her in the third movie. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I saw quite a comical comment to, when I was watching the movie the other day. It was the fact that uh, someone just stated their belief that M. Night Shyamalan decided to uh, make a movie about the Avatar, but all he based his knowledge on was the play in the animated show by the Ember Island players. <laughs> so he That's took that good. play that what they if, did and just made it dark and serious. What if the second movie was then like a cutout and it was a whole new set of actors and we found out we were watching a play within that world for the first movie? The first movie just was the Ember Island players and the second movie was a much more faithful telling of the story. Yeah, it was just them like, man, it was nothing like that. And then we move into like the like Earth book. Yeah. Or even better, they do the first two movies with the same actors, and then we get to the third one, and that's when it's revealed that it was all the Embryon players. Like, really just doubling down on the fact that <laughs> this movie universe is not great. Also, back to the bending aspect, because we kind of went off on a huge tangent there. Um, another thing about the bending is that they're incredibly inconsistent with how the bending works. The stupidest like, thing uh, in this movie was the Earth-bending prisoners. Yep, the earthbending prison that was actually that was in a rocky gorge where they could easily bend earth. Where in the animated show they were on essentially a steel oil rig where they couldn't bend any earth. No, no, but here here's the bigger and, problem with that too. Yeah, they there was one there was one earthbender who was making a big earth wall to block fire blasts, and then there's a squad of like ten earthbenders levitating a single small rock. But, and they're bending a mountain to throwing rocks, which they could have been doing without even having bending powers. And it fucking won them the fight. But it's worse than that, because there's implications here. We already find out that the Fire Nation didn't just come in and take these guys out because they won. Effectively, the Earthbenders were winning constantly, but then the Firebenders showed up with metal contraptions, like tanks, and they couldn't beat yep. those. But then th there was no tanks there. Why didn't they just wait for the yeah. tanks to leave and then just uprise again? Because they know they can already beat the foot soldiers. <laughs> it's not like they were cuffed either. They were just in the scam. Yeah, no, they were just sitting there doing nothing. It was like, okay, why? there's, there's, there's also, no reason for you to be here. Like, to talk more about the scene that's just so fucking dumb. We get the beautiful progression of a little kid throws a pebble at one of the guards. And the guards are like, I'm going to shoot a fireball at this child. And it's like, cool, yeah, that makes sense. I understand the logic of what's happened here. And then the father of the child comes in and creates a rock wall to protect his child. 
And then the firebender's like, I'm going to send another fireball the exact same way I just did it, this guy. And then the father just kind of grabs his child like he's out of bending after making a single rock wall. There's and no it takes more someone earth. Else, someone else has to make the exact same rock wall he just did to protect them from the second fireball. It's like, what? Why are people forgetting about their bending powers immediately after using their bending powers? Uh, also, the worst part, the part that made me like furious wasn't even this. You know what made me furious about this whole fight? Is the fact that what? we established firebenders need fire to do firebending. Oh, and yep. Katana, or Katara, whatever the fuck she's called in this one, she was standing right next to the only fire source in this whole fight with water <laughs> and didn't put it out. I to her, I, at this that. point, she... Jeez. At this point... I suppose I was about to say she clearly doesn't know how to waterbend yet because she hasn't gotten the scroll, and every time she tries to waterbend, oh yeah, so- she, Sokka she just ends up soaking wet, soaks whereas, or freezes Soka. Yeah, uh, so that's probably why she didn't try and waterbend to put out the fire. But she was also still standing right next to it with a bottle of water. She probably could have just dosed the flame anyways. Yeah, the, the, oh, like that the whole I, point. I, I was like, it. just throw the water on the fire. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> That's why they called him Soka in the movie. It's because whenever Katara waterbends, she soaks him. Oh, it's they're gone. Italian, not Inuit. That's why they're white now. <laughs> it does make a lot of sense. Um, no, another part of that fight is Ong reveals himself to be the Avatar, and the Fire Nation soldiers are like, oh, that would mean you'd have to be an air nomad. That means you have to be an airbender. And then he starts airbending, and they're like, what's going on? What are you doing? How are you doing this? I was like, it's airbending. Wait a uh, second, that's the Avatar! Point out that, like, based on... Because the logic that's presented in the show is that most firebenders need a source of fire to bend fire. And can't fucking do it without that. Uh, except for, like, a few members of the royal family, I guess, a can bend fire level, based off their chi. High-level firebenders, they stated... Like Hero and Zuko. Oh, right, yes, because once Sozin's comet comes back, then every firebender will have the power of a high-level firebender and be able to credit well, from their chi. Hero, Zuko isn't shown to be able to firebend without fire, but he's shown to be able to warm up his fingertips. I mean, that's, so, fire, that's fucking place. firebending. That was firebending, Matt. Regardless, <laughs> you know what's great at fucking dousing flames? Water, earth, and air. Literally, the firebender should not win a single fucking fight unless Sozin's Comet's in the air, because the moment they try and firebend, literally any other bender should be able to put out their source of fire. That's what I was saying. Yep. I was saying, this Fire Nation, with how these rules of bending work, they, they could not have done any of the stuff they said they've done. Because, guess what, you can, get, you can get rid of fire. You, you can't truly get rid of air, water, or earth. Yeah, it, no. Like, objectively, the Fire Nation, based on the way they're described in this uh, movie should not be able to win a single fight unless Sozin's Comet's in the air, which I suppose explains why the last time they actually defeated an enemy was when Sozin's Comet was in the air a hundred years ago. Yeah, because in this movie, Sozin's Comet is, uh, all it's capable of doing is making it so all firebenders are able to uh, create fire and not firebend with an existing source. So Whereas sorry, not- Sozin's Comet in the animated series is it amplifies their uh, firebending abilities to the nth degree, and they're literally able to decimate kingdoms. To be fair, it's not that the only thing it does is allows them to bend fire from their chi. All we're told is that it gives everyone the power of a high-level firebender where mm. they can now bend. 
So it's possible it also just increases their bending power to bring them up to that level. And it's just the only, the most easily recognizable way is that now everyone can do it from their chi. Also, the Fire Nation is not menacing at all. No. No, they're kind of goofy, to be honest. I'll give a a correction. Again, as I stated, Zuko is probably the best part of this movie, and he's really the only one that comes off as slightly menacing, but I know how his story goes, so I wasn't intimidated. And, like, his character was fine because, well, at this point in the series, he's supposed to be a dour, whiny teenager. And that's exactly what he was in the movie. Yeah, he's a kid who's been uh, told he's worthless by his father and is now trying to earn his father's love uh, through being kind of a little shit. Like, his character was worked the way it made sense, and you could see the room for growth he was going to go over over the next two movies. Yep. You got a similar vibe mm-hmm. from Ong, where his character was that he was a pacifist, like to the point where they, when he was learning how to waterbend, he was perfectly good at defending himself, but was incapable of attacking because he's a pacifist. Yeah, I, and, I didn't like how heavy-handed they went with that, because like, Aang clearly has potential with air worth bending and is clearly able to come up with ways to passively end a fight or non-aggressively end a fight but just decided you know what i'm not going to in this one instance all right but i think that was one of them trying to take a liberty with because again the movie's got less time to work with so having him have a more defined this is my weakness i can't do aggressive has the more Mm -hmm. easily payoff as opposed to how do i solve this fight yeah. Uh, so I kind of liked the way they did that because it, once again, you saw where his character was going to go over the coming movies if they happened. You didn't really get that with any of the other major characters. Like, Soka, uh, I, I, there was not really any room for growth presented in the character that no. we got to see. Um, and then... It was shown at the. It was shown at the beginning that Soka is just incompetent, whereas he's not incompetent in the slightest. He's just clumsy and goofy. Well, I don't think they really made him look incompetent. Like it didn't work out well for him, but they showed that he clearly like studied hunting patterns and knew how to gauge based off the tracks what direction they were going and what speed they were going, and then the seals magically disappeared which i guess could suggest that he had no idea what he was doing but like he explained the process he was using and how it should have led to a favorable conclusion mm-hmm. so i think i don't think he came across as incompetent i just kind of get the feeling that they didn't want to make him seem masterful or anything i don't know i might be making excuses for this character <laughs> Uh, on the topic of that, though, uh, I found the fight scenes were oddly kind of slow. And I don't mean just like those slowdown effects they did when like bending hit each other. I'm talking more about like just in general. It seems like Aang would stand there and do a bunch of like flips for like 40 seconds and then someone would attack somebody. Yeah. yeah. Like, case in point, when... Ong decides to uh, solve the fight in the north in the climax, and there's literally a scene where he uses airbending to run in the middle of a battlefield, 
and the opponents get pushed to either side and then they stand and like look at him run past and then after like a two second beat like run back towards each other but like part of that scene was it was such a melee that there was fighters from the water nation on both sides of the battlefield and there's fighters from the fire nation on both sides of the battlefield which means there were still people for them to fight against after they got split up but they still just kind of stood there looking at each other until ong was fully off screen there were just a lot of weird moments that felt like they didn't need to be there yeah and again all of the unnecessary flips and spins and jumps that uh they think that that uh, elemental benders need to do to bend their element. Well, that, that's the thing, though. They did like, do those types of moves, but the bending was they, happening they, at the same time, not afterwards. Yeah, not after he did like five spins and fl- and twirls and kicks, and then a single gust of air shoots out. Yeah, it'd be constant while they're moving. The bending is happening at the same time, and that made the yeah. fights faster. And in this one, they kind of separated the two, which slows everything right down. Yeah. You kind of get the feeling that they thought the audience was going to be really stupid. Like, it felt less like they were doing that kind of stuff for the benefit of uh, the pacing of the scene or anything like that. And just, like, they were worried that if they had people doing flips and stuff while airbending was happening, that they wouldn't be able to follow both. So they decided to separate the two so you could watch the flips and then watch the airbending. I mean, to be fair, the general movie-making process of the time was assuming that the audience was stupid. It really wasn't until, like, the Marvel movies started picking off that uh, that kind of changed a bit for general movies. Mm. Yeah. That is a good point. They have only recently started to accept the fact that uh, movie audiences might be able to pay attention for an extended period of time. The other benefit of them taking those kind of steps is it encourages people to rewatch movies to pick up on details they didn't get the first time whereas when the movies are slow you only have to watch it once because they take their time focusing on each detail individually i watched tenet a few times i still don't know what's going on I, i'm still confused by the <laughs> fucking scene in the middle but yeah um i still like rewatching the guy who gets uh flipped by the unexploding building <laughs> over and over again that is a fucking... Can we just talk about Tenet now? That's such a good movie. Uh, maybe in another episode we'll come back to it. Yeah. Oh, can we... Oh, no, I shouldn't discuss this on podcast. This is a good idea that we should talk about off podcast. And I'm sure you guys already know where I'm going. All right, so what else happened in this movie that we should talk about? Um, we talked about the uh, water bender fight. We talked about the releasing of the earth benders. I want to talk about where the fuck was Soka's wall. And yeah. his tower. Yeah, yeah, there was what? no wall, there was no tower, and he didn't have his own little uh, squad of trainee soldiers. Then again, I suppose they just didn't want to show any child soldier type thing. But oh, yeah, I think soldiers. that was part... True. I get the feeling that that was part of the whole adaptation process was uh, having Soka rather than having child soldiers having him encourage the children to wait inside one of the tents until the Fire Nation was gone was like trying to make him be uh, more redeemable if they were going to take themselves more serious yeah like not that he's a bad character but if you're taking yourself serious and also have a teenager who encourages a bunch of small children to fight against the Fire Nation 
that kind of makes that teenager seem like a less good person. Jet. Sorry, what did you say? I, I sneezed and said jet. 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 Glad you didn't didn't show up in this one. Well, they had to cut a lot of things out, and I guess yeah. that's a interesting way for us to take the topic. So clearly, this is a very condensed version of book one uh, or season one. Which is everything up to the end the of the Water Kingdom. Book fight. one water. Yeah. 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 So would you guys have done it differently, like with the story beats that were done? I don't know that I would what? have explicitly changed the like story beats that there were. I probably would have changed how they handled story beats, just like the whole idea is to keep it down to the size of a movie and not make it into a miniseries or something. You can't really add any more story beats without taking out story beats that were in there and the story beats that were there were kind of the major plot points of book one so it's yeah, kind of hard to think of anything you would change for another story beat yeah i do have to admit that they did choose good plot points to use for the movie it's just how they handled those plot points that was yeah. a little bit less than and desirable. i took major issue in the fact that ong was having a hard time picking up waterbending. <laughs> where in uh, the world's lore, it's supposed to be easy for an airbender avatar to pick up water or vice versa and difficult to pick up the other two elements. Whereas, like, air and water complement each other and oppose earth and fire. I mean, to be fair, you picked it up pretty quickly once you had an actual teacher. Once you had an actual teacher, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, just in the uh, TV show, he was shown to be or pick it up naturally just because the movements were similar to what he already knew. That's right. Uh, there's actually a plot point I think they could have cut to give more time to other things. And that was the blue spirit part. Oh, I've, I think that's um, an important point to keep if they were going to continue the series like they were planning because what? that was the that was the main jumping off point for how they started to build the relationship between Aang and Zuko. Oh yeah, they definitely like I I could see why it's important, but I think like overall the full story wise, I think cutting out the blue guard like the blue spirit entirely from the series makes the most sense. So you cut out that part where he gets kidnapped and still kind of do everything the same way. I'd probably also cut out everything that has Ozai in it, because I feel like Ozai should have been kept as not a player. Yeah, yeah. Ozai... I do think had... you could cut out every scene with Ozai and just keep that post credit scene where they reveal uh, Azula and have that be the introduction to both Azula and Ozai. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to have uh, Zhao going back and talking to him for everything. Have Zhao kind of like be the main villainous force of the movie. What I would do you could is... Even... Uh, you could even like hint at Ozai by having Zhao like giving orders to one of his underlings to like report to Ozai that this is happening. So you can still like reveal like they had it happen like five times with him talking about the fucking library, but they could have cut that down to a single moment where fucking Zhao told one of his underlings to report to Ozai about the library so that they don't have to cover the plot point over and over again. And then they also hint at the existence of Ozai without actually revealing him till the very end of the movie. Yeah, what I would probably would have done is, this is again doing some adapt, like uh, my own interpretation instead of uh, doing a literal translation because I think that with the movie where it's cutting out so much it has to kind of adapt into its own set. I would have cut yeah. out the Blue Spirit stuff, 
and then had that bonding moment between Zuko and Ong be at the end of the movie during the fight. Have, you can have everything where, you know, Zhao tries to kill him. They think he's dead. He sneaks in and is going to capture Aang. But then obviously Zhao shows up to mess with things. So he has to end up helping Ong to kind of defend the city and defeat Zhao. And you can still get that Zuko versus Zhao fight where, you know, he beats him. And then to show that he does have that possible good side is do the thing where he does go to spare Zhao. But Zhao kind of fucks himself over. Yeah. So I, I think they like could have done like them working together and kind of having that possible bond thing could have all been done at the end of the movie during the climax, showing Zuko the switch kind of from not an exact villain, but he's more in that middle ground while dealing with the main villain. I think, now that I think about it, another thing, and this might be a controversial choice, but I think another thing they probably could have cut from this movie was the spirit realm stuff. Like, yeah, it kind of pushed the plot forward, but the way it was handled, it could have been stuff that happened off screen and then had Ong come back and say, I need to make it to the spirit realm so I can converse with them. And then instead of showing what's happening in his mind where he's being told he has to use the ocean, just show him in his prayer state while people are fighting around him and then have his eyes open up as he leaves the fucking spirit realm. I don't think they actually needed to show what was happening in the spirit realm during those times. Yeah. At least in my mind. They could have made a little change. Like one thing I would have cut is his trip to one of the sister air nomad temples where he was captured by the person who turned him over to the fire Lord or not the fire Lord, but to the fire nation. Yeah. That, that's part of my like, cut off the whole like blue spirit thing would be, he never goes to that second temple. Uh, he doesn't get kidnapped. He doesn't have to blue spirit save him, but you can then fill out a bit more time with, you know, the Zuko Zhao conflict setting up Zhao trying to kill him. And then you could even have something where maybe he's undermining Zhao in some capacity that's making it harder for him to get the avatar, showing that he's not necessarily, you know, do anything oh. for the Fire Nation. Yeah, because um, him, him going to that air temple was only so he could talk to the spirit again. Yeah. But they could have just skipped that out entirely and just given that little more emphasis on reaching the North Pole to contact the spirits. Yeah, it could have been literally from the air temple, the first one, to there with like that little montage in the middle. Yeah. We could have even gotten a scene of, like, Zuko undermining Chao a little bit, and we get the fucking meme from the most recent Star Wars movies, where it's just, I don't care if you guys win, I just need Chao to lose. And we get that fucking moment as well. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Because I feel like having the Zuko turn kind of, like, partway through doesn't really do good for a film sense. I feel like that's something you want to kind of save for a twist at the end in the new format, so you have him turn on Zhao at the end, because Zhao's clearly going to win this fight, which means if he does, he can't get it with the Avatar, so he decides, I'm going to help the Water Nation beat Zhao's forces, so that I have a better chance of catching the Avatar later. They could even do it like that first time when Zuko gets invited onto Zhao's ship. They could even just have, like, yes, this would change the plot a little bit, but have Zuko just stay on the ship with Zhao from that point onwards, and, like, have him have secret meetings with uh, Iro, where he talks about undermining Zhao and like how he's working with him for now, but he needs to uh, be the one who actually captures the Avatar in the end because that's how he gets his redemption. Yeah, the, I can see why they wouldn't do that though, because Admiral Zhao is not banished from the Fire Nation and still makes frequent trips oh, back true. to the Fire Nation. Yeah, I think him. Well, one one little him. thing about that. One little thing about that whole scene where. He invited Zuko onto his ship, though, that I took issue with was his whole speech 
and more importantly how he said that since Zuko is banished, he's not allowed to wear any of the Fire Nation colors or uniform or anything. That's illegal for him to do. I'm like, excuse me, he's banished. He's not allowed home. That doesn't mean he can't wear the freaking clothes. In fact, he, he, I he believe was, the plot he is He was sent orders. out with... Yeah, he's out under orders not to return home without capturing the Avatar. He was sent out with his uncle and with a crew for the ship. To be fair, they have weird arbitrary rules for how members who aren't a part of the Fire Nation are supposed to follow throughout that movie. Uh, Zuko's still part of the Fire Nation. He's just banished and not allowed to return. I know. I'm just saying there's already weird rules out there. It's not that weird for them to have weird rules about how Zuko has to comport himself while he's banished. Like, like I kind of understand where it's coming from, but the line one of the firebenders says in the middle when they first get to Earthbender territory, and the firebender's like, she was bending. That's illegal. She's No, she's not allowed to bend. It's like, they're not a part of... Like, I understand why you don't want them bending, but they're not a part of your nation. You can't really decree yeah. what they are and aren't allowed to do. Also, he threw a rock on me, and it hurt. So I'm going to arrest him. Uh, no, it was he threw a rock at me, so I'm going to kill him. And then they revealed that he was bending. I'm like, all right, so I guess we'll arrest him instead. Like, they tried to... Win they made time, it very kid. clear they were planning on killing the kid and then backed themselves down to arresting. Gotta keep the movie at that PG rating. PG-13. Yeah, of course. Uh, probably? Probably. Uh, PG-19. <laughs> that works. PG, who cares? <laughs> but yeah, I think those are the big changes I would do. Make the Zuko stuff mm-hmm. more at the end for the shift. And we kind of set up things of like him showing a little bit of compassion before the, that. That kind of set it up. One little detail, though, I did like is that uh, there's one little scene with Zuko and Iro. They were sitting down at some cafe and Iro was trying to uh, convince Zuko, Zuko to put this all to put this all behind him and settle down in the village. And Zuko calls over a kid. He's like, hey, do you know anything? What do you know about uh, the Prince of the Fire Nation? Like the son of the Fire Lord. And uh, how the kid talked about that whole thing. Also hated how they also mispronounced Agni Kai as Agni Ki. We get it. They didn't know how to pronounce fucking names, Matt. Move on. <laughs> yeah. but th- that was a nice little touch, though. Of uh, how that's just common knowledge throughout the Fire Nation, and because of that, and the dishonor that he's faced, that's part of the reason why he's so adamant on not returning until he finds the Avatar. I feel like what probably could have made that better, though, was the kid seemed almost sympathetic to Zuko. Uh, like yeah. Story, and if he was just like, no, it doesn't matter. He's like dishonorable and stuff. Like, like just shitting on Zuko there. Yeah, like, yeah, I feel like that would have been the, a much better point for why Zuko wants to do it than the kid going, oh, everyone knows the story. Yeah, it would have yeah, been like... much better, especially since, uh, well, in the cartoon anyway, we show that what they're teaching people in the Fire Nation, what they've been teaching people in the Fire Nation for 100 years since the Avatar's disappearance, is that the Fire Nation are the greatest and... Well, they're essentially telling lies about how the Fire Nation is responsible for everything good in the world. And I guess that also kind of leads into another aspect I had at the end where everyone bows to Aang as the Avatar because he kind of ran away from his whole being announced as the Avatar ceremony and he didn't bow back. It's like, and I noticed that 
It wasn't just the Water Nation tribe bowing to him in the North Pole, but the Fire Nation soldiers who couldn't escape. And I'm like, excuse me, you've been tr- you've been taught since birth that your enemy is the Avatar, and that he is standing between you and a peaceful world. I do want to point out one thing, though. That that is a bit weird, but you also have to remember the context. They were literally trapped in that city because the entrances were sealed and they couldn't get out. So they might be just trying True. to find out, like, oh yeah, the Avatar, great guy, battle for him. Uh, yeah, it was one of those things. They literally just watched the Avatar just not only block them in the city, but just send their entire way of leaving the city the fuck away. Those ships were leaving and were not coming back for those guys. They needed to kind of earn some goodwill by bowing to the Avatar at that point. It might not even be something like, we think you're great. It could be the same way, like, if someone came to Earth from outer space and just started murdering people mercilessly and told everyone to bow, like the fucking scene from the first Avengers movie when Loki forces people to bow before him. A lot of people are going to bow, and it's not because they respect him, it's because they're fucking terrified of him. Yeah. While, in the context of the animated series, it raises some flags, in the context of the the movie and what could have potentially happened if they succeeded with this movie and made the additional two sequels, uh, they were probably going with the line of uh, how they mentioned the Avatar changes the hearts of people to bring people together. So they were probably going to start swaying more and more people from the Fire Nation to their side. Probably. Again, I do feel like they were setting up Ozai to have a change of heart. Uh, Yeah, you kind of get the vibe that if the series kept going, the first movie was about convincing the Water Tribe to actually fight back instead of just standing in their homes. The second movie would have been a lot of Azula as the main antagonist, but also and just trying to convince could, the Earth Nation that you guys literally can move Earth. It's yeah. everywhere. You win a 1v1 versus a firebender. Why are you letting them win? Uh, and then the third movie probably would have been like mostly a civil war in the middle of the Fire Nation, where like it would have been Azula taking over half of the Fire Nation, but the other half realizing that Azula's kind of a fucking crazy bitch and they don't want to support her and also like hearing all this shit about Ong and how he refuses to kill people and like that might be the kind of guy we want to serve um it very well could have come down like that um so one thing I want to talk about briefly uh is the life of Noah Ringer it was that cool Cool. Um, it's the yeah, person the who played Ong. Res- that's the response I was looking for. So, um, fun fact about uh, Noah Ringer. He actually had uh, more experience as a martial artist and had participated in many American Taekwondo Association competitions, uh, doing quite well for himself. Uh, and while he was doing that, he shaved his head and kids started making fun of him by calling him Ong. Or I guess they probably <laughs> called him Ang. Um, no, I, think, uh, I think they would have called him Ong. <laughs> uh, and uh, because of that, he kind of got turned on to the Avatar series and watched it and apparently became a fan. Uh, and so when they hosted auditions, he auditioned for the role of Ong, uh, even though he was a fan of Aang. Um, and so he performed in this one movie. He then performed in the movie Cowboys and Aliens, another fantastic film. Uh, was nominated for a Razzie 
for his participation in The Last Airbender, which won five fucking Razzies, and I then believe... immediately stopped acting forever. Uh, actually, I believe that uh, that same year, I believe it was the last Twilight movie got the same amount of Razzie nominations. Yeah, so uh, it won the most Razzies, but uh, yeah, so the last Airbender and the Twilight Saga Eclipse were both nominated for nine Razzies, which was the most Razzies they had been nominated for, or anything had been nominated for. This one won the most Razzies with five of its nine nominations actually being awarded to it. And then this kid just stopped acting forever. We call that the Phantom Menace effect. Yep. It was so weird because I was watching this movie and I was like, man, I remember this kid from somewhere. Where do I remember him from? And then I Googled him and I was like, oh, this one movie and nothing else. Okay. Because I have yet to watch Cowboys and Aliens and I probably never will. Um, You recognized him from Cowboys and Aliens and haven't even seen (laughs) Cowboys and Aliens? No. I recognized him from the earlier time I had watched this movie and just thought I recognized him from somewhere else. (laughs) Okay. Uh, that's all I wanted maybe, to share. Maybe you recognized them from Aang, because they look so similar. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, that's all. I just wanted to share that this kid had a very uh, unfortunate life. He could have become an actual child actor, and then that happened, and he and, just and, quit and acting And then Avatar forever. happened. Well, Avatar and Cowboys and Aliens. Let's not forget that <laughs> the other movie he participated in was Cowboys and Aliens. True. He didn't have a good shot with either one of them. Um, yeah, that, that's all. I just needed to share this kid's life with you guys. (laughs) Do we have anything else to discuss with regards to this movie? Don't really have much else to say about this movie in particular, but we are going to have another chance at some potentially decent live action avatar in the forms of the Netflix series that's being worked on at the moment. Ooh, the Netflix adaption. Yeah, um, they're saying that it's going to uh, follow more closely the cartoon show, but I'm I'm holding my hopes for that because they originally brought on the creators of the show for the artistic for artistic lead and writing, but the creators of uh, Avatar left the project because they weren't being let. Or they weren't being given any of their artistic liberty or at all. They weren't allowed to have any say in how the show went. So uh, they say they're following the plot of Avatar, but the actions of the writers are saying otherwise. Interesting. Who knows? The original writers uh, wanted to make changes and wanted to like completely change the plot. And they were like, man, we made some issues the first time around. We're going to fix it on this uh, live-action reboot. Or not reboot, but uh, retelling. And the writers who were hired to work on this specifically were like, no, we were told to follow the original story to a fucking T. If you want to change Avatar, I don't care if your name is the name of the author of the original Avatar series. Too fucking bad. We're sticking with the original plot. I don't care if you're Mr. Avatar. So I choose to believe it's going to be exactly the same. And the reason that the original writers were kicked off was because of the fact that they wanted to make changes to fix uh, plot holes from the series. Maybe, but we'll see. I mean, that whole, like we joked about earlier, but that whole fucking fired writer, uh, what, what's the player's name? 
the playgroup. Oh, the Ember Iron Ember Island players. The Ember Island players. That was essentially the writers calling out plot holes in their own series. So might as yeah. well have them maybe want to consider changing some of those for the second time around. Oh man, I really hope I oh, if that's the case, I really hope that they were actually going to change Toph to make <laughs> Toph big and buff dude. My name's Toph because it sounds like tough. You know, it I still I, have I, it be I a little girl, fine. but it's just a little girl who's played by John Cena. I, I would have been <laughs> fine with everything if that was the reveal. <laughs> Especially if it was John Cena claiming to be a little girl. Yeah, it's like not John Cena dressed up or anything to look like a little girl. It's just it is John Cena, and he just calls out the fact that he is a little girl. I am the heiress to whatever my family is. I am a blind small a child who learned how to bend from moles. Oh, I can see, just not like you see. There it is. Use... That's what it'll sound like when we find it. <laughs> you can't see me. That looks great. I just want to say that while we were making these little jokes, I was actually picturing John Cena in his old wrestling gear with the jorts just imposed into all of the actual Avatar scenes from the animated series. Not even an animated version of John no, Cena. No, no, he was not just like live-action John Cena yep. superimposed over top of the animated series. Exactly. On yeah, I think it's oh, kind of like uh, the Mary Poppins movie, where they have the animated sequences which are just superimposed over the live-action filming. Or who framed Roger Rabbit. Or who framed Roger? You know what? Yeah, I'm on board with this. This is what the live action series should be. It should literally just be the animated series again, except they superimpose live action John Cena over top of Toph anytime she's on screen. And when Toph comes into uh, the Earth, uh, the Earth bending ring in the underground tournament, it's like. And her name is Toph Beifong. No, I think at that point they just lean into it. Don't even like say her actual name. Just like, and her name is John Cena. Wait, what? No, that's not her name. Give me a second. Fuck. Uh, what was her name again? And just like completely fucking lose it. The boulders <laughs> conflicted over who he is fighting. <laughs> I don't want to fight this person anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Last Airbender. Had promise, I guess, begrudgingly admitted, but yeah. turned out very poorly. It, it wasn't a bad concept. It was enjoyable, but the execution could have used some more work. I stand by my opinion of if they had have stuck to their guns and made the full three movies, it would have come across a lot better than it did as an individual film. Yeah, and if they gave the child actors a little more guidance in their acting so they had a little more life to their lines and actions. I suppose now that you bring up child actors, uh, there really wasn't an option for them to do a full three movies because as we know, the kid who played Ong quit acting after one more movie, so they couldn't have done the full three. Yeah. All right. Uh, so do we have a fun uh, question for everybody? Hmm. I didn't even sure consider if this the last airbender was to have been continued with the next two movies in the series 
and was going off on a divergent path from the cartoon, where would you have liked to see it go? Because we, I guess, explored some potential possibilities, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. I think having Azula be the big bad at the end would have been a really cool thing to do, because I felt like she was always kind of overshadowed by Ozai, who just felt non-existent in most of the series originally. Yeah, yeah I felt like watching the series, they kind of built up Azula and then just kind of knocked her back down before she got a chance to really stand on her own and be a truly menacing threat. I mean, yeah, she kind of killed Aang, but not really. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, yeah, that, that could be good. I'd like to hear, not even necessarily who the big bad is, but from our audience, what divergent plot could have come out from uh, a continuation of this series. Does energy bending exist in this alternate universe? Are they, do they just invent guns? <laughs> and it shows yeah, up to these the guns, and then it's just Soka flexing. <laughs> I think you mean Toph. Oh, yeah. Toph. Would they have ever actually gotten What Toph? if it was Toph or Grace playing Toph? No. Toph, the earthbender. No, I don't earthbend. I know Tofu. <laughs> the only thing I'm bending are these guns. Alright, so that's enough talking about this. Uh, did we have answers <laughs> from the last question that we asked our audience about Loki or something? Uh, we did. So our last question was obviously which Loki you would like to see. Uh, so we have an answer from... Oh, actually, nope, no one answered this one correctly, I guess. Uh, no one has any Lokis they could think of they really want to see more of aside from what we already saw. Not even a Mothman Loki? No. Uh, so actually, uh, that was the next part for someone guessing what this episode was about. And oh. uh, as you can assume... There was a Got Mothman guess in there. From oh, of course. Of course. Disappointed at that one, actually. <laughs> Turns out uh, they were incorrect. This was not about Mothman. The upsetting thing is, I think we even set up Mothman Loki in our last discussion. Yeah, we even like realized halfway through asking the question that we were opening the door for someone to suggest Mothman Loki. And they didn't suggest Mothman Loki. That's shame on them, I guess. I, I mean, I guess they maybe thought it was too low of a hanging fruit. Yeah, we already stole the thunder. Too low hanging of a lamp. That's what it was. Ah, um, uh, yes. Lamp. There, I made my moth pun. Uh, not even a pun, just reference. Uh, yeah, so... Anyone correctly guess this one other than the person who tried to guess it as Mothman? No. Okay. <laughs> In that case, uh, recommendations? Is I'm that where not, we're at? I'm not upset because no one would have seen this twist. M. Night Shyamalan is famous for them. So recommendations, then? <laughs> yeah. What do you recommend, Peter? <laughs> I uh, feel bad about saying this, but decided beforehand I was going to recommend people go out and watch the live-action Death Note, and I stand by that. Uh, <laughs> I also feel that the live-action Death Note would have been better if it was three movies instead of one, but... That was not the only problem with the live-action Death Note. It's just the easiest one to fix. If you want to cut out the middleman, you can just watch our episode on the live-action Death Note. Did we actually talk about... I thought we just talked about actual Death Note and then memed about live-action at the end. I mean, we kind of did both. Fair. Yeah. There was a good back and forth. 
Uh, true. All right. So yeah, my recommendation, I take it back. It's not watching the live action Death Note. It's watching our <laughs> podcast about the live action. <laughs> Listening to it. Because watching nope. it might be a little difficult. It's on YouTube. Uh, uh, watch watch the still image on YouTube. In fact, have the audio turned off and just watch the still image on YouTube. There you go. That's my recommendation. It'll be about as enjoyable as watching the live action Death Note itself. Okay, Matt, what's your recommendation? My recommendation is a game that I recently just started playing. The game titled Scarlet Nexus. No, I just finished my first playthrough of that. That is a really good game. But uh, my recommendation this week is Tales of Berseria. Tales games are always good. Yeah, this this is my first Tales game, and I am thoroughly enjoying it. This one particularly, you play as the uh, kind young woman Velvet, and uh, the game starts off with her peaceful life living with her brother and family, just in a peaceful village in the forest, when uh, suddenly a dark and terrible event sends her onto a journey of revenge and torment. It's a very fascinating game with an interesting story. Yeah, the Tales games are usually always pretty top-notch on their stories. Top-notch stories and character building. Everything you expect from a JRPG. Yep. And what about you, Keith? Uh, so, for mine, uh, there's something I really wanted to recommend, recommend, and I had to find a way to kind of connect it. So for my recommendation, if you're looking for another story about a reluctant hero who needs to save the world in a sense, uh, what Can I, I guess recommend what you're gonna recommend? the Evangelion series. <laughs> yep, that's where I thought you were going with that. Get in the robot. <laughs> Get in the robot, Shinji. Uh, but there are actually two other things I'd like to recommend, just where, due to the nature of the episode, these aren't necessarily recommendations for me specifically, but things I think if you like the Avatar series, you should check out. We actually did do an episode on Avatar itself, uh, so if you haven't listened to that one, you're just kind of jumping around. That one's worth going back to, because I feel like we actually go over quite a bit of good stuff yes. in that one. And I think I did also riff on this movie a few times in that. Yes. Uh, and the other thing I would actually recommend is, when this episode goes live, if you're listening to it day of, uh, there is still 10 days left on the Avatar Legacy uh Kickstarter, which is kind of a role-playing game based in the Avatar universe, which actually looks really good. And if you like pen and paper games and Avatar, it's definitely something worth picking up. Yeah, I've uh, heard good things about the Legacy card games, like the Marvel Legacy and stuff like that. So I'm sure this Avatar Legacy one will be pretty good, too. Well, it's just a pen and paper game. It's like a D&D. Yeah, yeah I know. I... Just saying, I've heard good things about similar games, so I'm sure this one will turn out. Well. I'd be interested to try it out. I well, there's yet to have been a decent Avatar game in any form, so hopefully this one turns out well. Yeah, but it's pretty. From what I understand, uh, if you played Powered by the Apocalypse pen and paper games, it's pretty much the exact same system. Thank you for so. Or thank you so much for listening to this episode of What Is My Podcast About. As per usual, you can find us on all podcast streaming services as well as on YouTube. Give us a like, comment. If you uh, enjoyed it, uh, tell a friend. Maybe two. I don't know. No more than two. We no can't more than two. That kind of growth. We want to keep our expectations a little low. Um, if you have any comments, you can uh, leave them on 
maybe perhaps YouTube comments. We may check those. You can also find us on Instagram. And if you have any suggestions for any potential future episodes, you can reach out to us at our email, whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Uh, we're about five months out from January, so make sure to get those suggestions in before. Yes. We would love to see or hear what you would like us to rant or talk about or discuss or go insane over. I, I'm making a call that I probably shouldn't, but if we get the first fucking recommendation we get, I guarantee we will do during January, no matter how terrible of a recommendation it is. And I already regret starting the sentence, so Keith, maybe cut it out. I don't know what's up to you. Oh, nope, no, leave I'm going to put leave it, it in. like every 10 seconds into the podcast episode. Of course. Um, but yeah, give us a recommendation for the February. That's the yeah. word I'm looking for. Yeah, and uh, with that said, tune back in in another two weeks when we talk about something else. Yeah, it looks like we're going to be discussing a movie about a bunch of Chinese martial artists that have to defeat evil. Interesting. Interesting.